really quickly the Annabelle doll. We're walking in the museum now. This is going to be a treat, I hope. In this case that Dan Rivera, my senior lead investigator, made is a portable case that he made to uh, transport the doll. And he did a very good job because he has placards of St. Michael the Archangel on both sides of the doll case. He has three crosses on the on the case, one on each side and one on top here, uh, which signifies the Holy Trinity. The stain on the case was uh, infused with holy oil and holy water. Now I'm going to show you the doll, ladies and gentlemen. Here she is. This is the Annabelle doll. And she doesn't look like much, but let me tell you that she is a dangerous artifact, probably the most dangerous artifact in this entire museum. It is said that a spirit or a demon can attach itself to a person or an object this week. We look into the story of the Annabelle doll. Welcome to Beyond the Edge of Darkness. was given to Donna, who was a student nurse. This was a birthday gift by her mother. Annabelle was bought secondhand from a hobby store. Donna was living with her friend Angie. Soon Donna graduated and qualified as a nurse. She found herself a job at the same hospital where Angie worked. They both had late shifts and finished at midnight most nights. They were so excited to be working together. They fell into a really comfortable routine. One morning Donna decided to bring her doll into the kitchen. She put her on a chair and told Angie that Annabelle was having breakfast with them. They both laughed and went on with their busy day. This became a habit. Donna would keep bringing the doll into the kitchen while they were having breakfast. The third morning Angie and Donna were both laughing around as they were eating their breakfast. They were even talking to the doll. Then as they were joking around, the doll lifted both its arms and placed both its hands on the table. Obviously this absolutely shocked both the girls. They were in disbelief of what they both had just seen with their own eyes. They both sat in complete silence, in shock for the next few minutes, thinking it was their imagination. Angie then broke the silence then joked with a nervous laugh, saying they should hold a seance with the doll. Donna smiled and laughed, but they didn't talk about it anymore. Instead they decided to keep a closer eye on the doll. So Donna started leaving the doll on the living room couch to greet them when they get home from a long day's work. But after a while both girls started noticing something strange. The doll was moving again. No matter what position they left the doll sitting. When they got home the doll would be in a different position. Her arms and legs would be placed differently. Or both crossed over one another. And on more than one occasion the doll would be facing a complete different direction. At first, both Donna and Angie blamed each other thinking one was trying to prank the other before leaving for work. But most days, working the same hours, they both left the house together and came home at the same time and knowing no one else had been in the house the full day. 
The doll somehow still managed to move. Then they realized. The doll would move around whatever room they left her in. She would be on the opposite side of the couch, or at the foot of the bed, instead of leaning against the center of the pillows where Donna had left her that morning. One day Donna was late getting ready for work, and Angie was waiting by the door, telling her to hurry up. She left her bedroom door open, and hurried through the living room. Annabelle was sitting on the couch and she remembered seeing the doll there as she left. But when Donna and Angie got home later in the night, the doll was in Donna's bedroom and the door was shut. Both of them had been at work all day. Nobody had been in the house. This happened multiple times. They started worrying thinking someone had been breaking into the house and messing with them, moving the doll around and trying to scare them. So Angie asked her boyfriend Lou to start coming over more often. Sometimes he stayed in the house to keep an eye on things while both girls were at work. Eventually they asked him to move in. Lou hated the doll. It gave him creepy feelings whenever he was around it and he told Angie more than once that she should get rid of it. But Donna still loved the doll and refused to get rid of it about a month after receiving the doll. Things escalated even further. Donna and Angie started finding strange messages around the house. They were written in a child-style handwriting on parchment paper. They said things like, Help me. Help Lou. Help us. Neither of them used or had even bought parchment paper, and they searched the entire apartment looking for this paper. They found nothing, but more and more notes kept appearing. After finding the note with Lou's name on it, Angie showed her boyfriend and asked if it was him writing them. Lou didn't know anything about it and he had never used or bought the parchment paper either. He told Angie it's something to do with the doll and that he felt bad vibes and feelings from it. He told Angie to get rid of it. But Donna insisted on keeping it, telling them it was a gift from her mother. A few days later everything changed. Donna came home and found the doll on her bed. This was not where she left her. But by now she was used to that. What was different though was how she felt when she looked at the doll. She got this overwhelming sense of fear and dread and as she slowly walked towards the bed where the doll sat, the feeling of dread and fear multiplied. She took a deep breath and picked up the doll and there was red stains on the back of the doll's hands. She then noticed three drops on the doll's chest. It was then Donna realized it was blood. She dropped the doll terrified ran out of the room slamming the door behind her. She waited in the living room for Angie to get home. She was petrified. When Angie got home, Donna could hardly get the words out her mouth. To describe what had happened, Angie tried her best to calm her down. Seeing how upset Donna was, Angie offered to contact a psychic medium a friend had told her about. They asked the medium to come to their house and see if they could find any information on what was happening. After the medium looked around, and started talking to the girls. They all decided to have a seance to try and contact any spirits residing in their home. During the seance, the medium discovered it was the doll that was inhabited by a spirit of a little girl called Annabelle Higgins. The medium also explained, just before the building was built, Annabelle's family lived on the property. She used to run and play in the fields round about their home, but when she was just seven years old, her body was found in the exact spot where their house was built. The medium told Donna and Angie that the spirit of Annabelle just wanted to keep living in the body of the doll and that she means no harm. Donna and Angie were freaked out, but Donna believed the medium and felt sorry for the spirit of poor Annabelle and still felt the attachment to the doll. So she decided to keep it. 
After this they treated the doll lovingly, tried to show it as much kindness and affection as possible. But it was harder than they thought. Every time the doll moved or left them a message, it just freaked them out more. But they kept trying, even taking Annabelle out in car rides with them. They even bought her clothes and jewelry. They basically treated her like a real-life little seven-year-old girl. But this just made things worse. The nicer they were to Annabelle, the more things escalated. They started hearing knocking sounds all around the apartment. After all this happening, Angie and Donna told Lou about what the medium had told them about the doll and told him about Annabelle Higgins. But Lou still wasn't convinced and thought it was more sinister and he still hated the doll and wanted to get rid of it. Ever since Lou moved into the house, he was plagued with terrible nightmares. Near enough every night, he claimed somehow he knew it was the doll that was responsible. He had serious doubts that the spirit was a scared little girl, but he stayed because he cared about Angie and obviously wanted to make her feel safe. One night Lou and Angie went to bed early, as they were leaving for a road trip early the next morning. In the middle of the night, Lou woke up suddenly from a deep sleep. He was panicked and in a cold sweat. He could not move. His arms and legs were heavy. He was paralyzed. He tried to wake up Angie. But he could not talk. All he could do was move his eyes and blink. As he moved his eyes, down to the foot of his bed, he saw something moving. At first he could only see a shadow. But as he looked down further he saw what it was. It was Annabelle. the doll started slowly sliding up his legs, all the way up to his chest. Lou closed his eyes hoping and praying it was just another nightmare. But it was then he felt an intense pressure on his throat, that intense that he could not breathe. All this happening while he felt completely paralyzed, he felt himself losing consciousness and blanked out. The next morning he woke up, immediately sat up and panicked. Angie knew he was having nightmares regularly so she comforted him. But this time he knew it was real. When he got up he looked in the mirror and there was marks across his neck, like someone had tried to strangle him. He told Angie to get ready as fast as possible and that he was ready to get the hell out of that house. A little while later they were in the living room and Lou was looking at the map to finalize the route for their road trip. Angie was chatting with Donna. That's when they all heard a noise coming from Donna's room. The room door was shut 
Lu opened the door and nobody was there. The window was shut and nothing in the room was disturbed. Lu looked down and seen the doll laying face down on the room floor. Lu picked it up and started shaking it aggressively, shouting, You are nothing but a stupid rag doll. You could not hurt anybody. I swear I am going to get rid of you. Then tossed Annabelle back on the room floor. Angie and Donna came rushing into the room to see what was going on. Out of nowhere, Lou felt a sharp, deep pain in his chest and his skin was roasting hot where the pain was. It felt like it was burning. The pain got more intense, that much so, he bent over. Falling to the ground, Angie was freaked out. She rushed out the room thinking he was taking a heart attack. But as Lou moved his hands away from his chest, there was blood dripping from him. Underneath his shirt, there was seven wounds. They looked like claw marks, three were vertical and four were horizontal. They looked down at the floor, and the doll had not moved, but Lou was sure whatever was inside this doll caused his injury. Suddenly, a chair slid across the room. The walls started to shake, causing pictures to fall and smash on the floor. The room was surrounded by pounding sounds. At this point they all ran out the room, into the living room, making sure Lou was okay. When they checked his chest, three of the claw marks were healed. By the next day, half of the other marks were gone, and a few days later, his chest was completely healed with no scabs or scars. Donna thought the spirit of Annabelle had lashed out at Lou because they had stopped giving her all the previous attention. She felt bad that they were all ignoring her, but she just could not shake that bad feeling she got from her and what had happened to Lou. They were all terrified, so they decided Annabelle needed help to cross over to the other side and decided to contact a priest. They contacted Father Hegan and asked him for help. After telling him what had happened on a number of occasions and things getting worse, Father Hegan decided to contact paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren. The first thing Ed and Lorraine said to Donna was that they were misled by the medium. Annabelle Higgins was a young girl who died in a motorcycle accident outside their house. But it was not her spirit that was inside the doll. This was the work of an evil presence that could attach itself to anything. A person, an object or even a place. They explained that the spirits of the dead can't possess objects. They can only in rare circumstances possess living people. They believed the thing that possessed the Annabelle doll was in fact a demon but the demon was in fact impersonating the innocent Annabelle Higgins. To let it into their lives, they told them any demon wants to attach itself to not an object, but a human host. They believed the demon was trying to trick the girls in a plan to try and possess one of them. The Warrens told them 
that the demon was currently at the infestation stage. They said they had to act now, or risk possession from the demon. After the initial investigation, the Warrens consulted with Father Hegan and Father Cook. The Warrens told them how serious the situation was. They recommended an immediate exorcism blessing of the home done by Father Cook. The idea behind the blessing is that they want to fill the house with God's presence. In order to drive the demon back, Father Cook walked through the house, blessing every corner of every room. The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruins of souls. Amen. When the blessing was done, the Warrens told Angie and Donna that after this blessing there will be no demons living in their home. Donna decided not to take any chances and asked Ed and Lorraine to take the doll with them. Ed and Lorraine agreed. They drove home with the doll in the back seat. As they were driving, they felt as if somebody was staring at them from behind and a deep dark sense of hatred coming from the back seat. Nearly home, Ed and Lorraine reported that they had a near miss with an oncoming vehicle. It swerved onto their side of the road. They were sure it was the work of the doll. They realized just how dangerous. This doll was and had a wooden case, with a glass door made, with a large crucifix on top, to keep it locked away for good. While locked away in the Warren Museum of Haunted Artifacts, there has been a number of different incidents regarding Annabelle, including incidents where people have taunted her, and later crashed their car shortly after leaving. You know, that's really a long time ago that you guys started out, but I know you've had thousands, thousands, literally, of cases. Oh, God, yes. And I also know that you have a museum on your property. Yes. Now, Ed, would you want to just tell a little bit about some of the things, perhaps, that are in that museum that are really fascinating, scary things, perhaps, that you've collected over the years? All right. I think one of the most famous would be Annabelle. Mm -hmm. This is a Raggedy Ann doll that's made like thousands of other dolls, except that this doll was used in communication, almost like having a seance. Mm -hmm. A nurse had received the doll, 1971, as a present, a Christmas present from her mother. And the doll stands about three foot high, and she would take it to bed with her at night. That's common enough for girls to do. I take a pillow, some people take a doll, girls would like that, even 28-year-old ones. And after a few nights, she lived with another girl who was a nurse, both of them St. Hartford, or um, St. Hartford Hospital. Hartford Hospital. Yeah, it was Hartford Hospital, honey. And uh, mm -hmm. they were on the same shift, and so they worked together, they lived together, they shared the expenses. And one morning she got this idea to bring the doll from the bedroom into the kitchen, where they were having breakfast, and she put it in a chair. And she said, oh, Raggedy Ann here is going to have breakfast with us today, joking around. Okay, well, that was a joke. Then, the next thing, 
The next thing, uh, she brought it down again the next morning and the next morning. But the third morning, they're talking to the doll, and the arms of the doll are on the chair like this. Suddenly, they went up and onto the table. Now, this didn't frighten them. This intrigued them to the extent that the one nurse said to the other one, one of the nurses knows a medium. Let's ask her about this. I'll bet you there's a spirit in that doll. That's what they did. They asked this nurse about it, and she said, yeah. She said, uh, I know a woman who is a medium. I'll bring her over, and we'll hold the seance. It was a joke, just a, a game. But it didn't turn out to be a game. It turned out to be one of the most horrifying experiences they'd ever have in their life. Mm -hmm. And I've talked with people just recently, as recent as two months ago, who know the two nurses, and even today, they don't like to talk about it. They'll never come to our lectures. <laughs> they don't want to talk about Raggedy Ann, Annabelle at all. So now the, the woman holds a seance, and she said, there's a spirit of a six-year-old girl in that doll who was killed in an automobile accident just outside of your apartment house here. Hmm. Well, there was a six-year-old child by the name of Annabelle who was killed. But God does not allow the spirit of a child to go into a doll. This was a demon who was posing as that little child to create sympathy to these two young women, which it did. Now this was no longer a doll. This was a child. They would take it for rides. They'd talk to it. Mm -hmm. They'd buy clothing for it, jewelry. They treated it just as though it was that little girl who was killed, Annabelle. Now they were giving it a lot of recognition. Soon after the first seance, things would happen in their house. What we refer to as infestation. There would be knocking sounds. They'd see flashing lights in their bedroom at night shooting across the room. The bed would shake a little bit. It would get icy cold. They'd hear whispering, which we call magic whispering. Now. From time to time, these girls would change shifts. But they were getting a little scared now. So they decided to stay on the same shift all the time, mm -hmm. 4 to 12. They'd leave the doll in the bedroom. They'd come home after midnight, put the key in the door, unlock the door, and who do you think is standing there? The raggedy and doll. Standing there. Now, that doll has flimsy legs. Yeah. If you try to stand it up, you can't. But I've seen that doll stand. I've seen a lot of things happen around that doll. Well, this still didn't scare them. But one of the fiancés of one of the girls was against all of this. He said, burn the doll, throw it away, get rid of it. It's evil. Well, he falls asleep one afternoon, a Saturday. And uh, the doll is in a chair not far from him. And the girls are cleaning up the apartment. Mm -hmm. He wakes up with a start. He said, my God. What a nightmare. He said, uh, I dreamt that that doll was strangling me. He had marks on his throat. Was it psychosomatic? Well, let's see. He gets up. He looks at the doll in the chair, picks it up, and throws it right across the room. You're nothing but a rag doll. You couldn't hurt anyone. With that, Tony, seven psychic slashes appear on his body. Wow. Now, we've seen these kind of slashes. We've filmed them. These slashes come from nowhere. The blood came right through his shirt. The nurses witnessed this. Then, 
A huge chair rolled across the room. Pictures on the walls came off, started smashing and breaking. Loud pounding sounds. Now they were all frightened. They called the High Episcopal Canon in Hartford, Connecticut. He called Father Richard Nolan, an exorcist, and Father Nolan called us. We went to the apartment. Exorcism was performed immediately over the people, the three people, and the apartment. I brought that doll back to my museum. Now, why would I have something like that in a museum? Evidence, proof. The skeptics, the atheists, mm -hmm. the first thing they attack you with is, where is the evidence? Where is the proof? This never happened. I not only have the doll, I have film. I have recordings. I have eyewitness accounts from credible people who have seen these phenomena happen in and around that doll. A priest comes to my home one day. Young fellow. Has his rectory right here in uh, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. Ed, I'd like to take you and Lorraine for a ride in my new car. Very proud of it. We went with him. When he took us back, he said, what about this doll everybody's talking about? Because we had shown it on Channel 18, on a TV show we are on. Could I see it? I understand it put slashes on people. I brought him into the museum. It's in a chair. Mm -hmm. He looks at it. Just like the guy in Hartford. He walks right over to it, never said a word. Picked it up and threw it right across the room. God is more powerful than a devil. I said, yes, Father. God is more powerful than millions of devils. But he wasn't. He found that out. Less than an hour later, driving home on Route 84, his brand new car went out of control. I know what he's talking about because the same thing happened to Lorraine and I when we talked about Amityville one time on Route 84. Hmm. You can't control the car. Half of his car was sheared off by a tractor trailer truck. He should have been killed, but he lived. God will only let the devil go so far. The last thing he remembers seeing was the image of that doll. Well, then a detective comes to our house. We're working on the murder of a little child. Lorraine often helps the police through her clairvoyance. I threw my knowledge of ritual magic murders. After we threw, he said, Ed, could I go out to the museum there and look around? Sure, I brought him out. Now, this is a homicide detective. You were a cop. These guys are tough guys. They're used to seeing grazy sights, right? Mm -hmm. He looks around and he said, you know, of all the things in this building here, that doll there, I can't take my eyes off of it. The raggedy Ann. It was still in the chair. Just then, the phone rang. It was a personal call. I told him I'd be right back, not to touch anything in that building. Mm -hmm. Everything in there was unholy, unblessed. Right. Well, I'm up there talking on the phone. I wasn't even there 10 minutes when all of a sudden I hear him coming up the stairs. This guy is a big guy, six foot two, six foot three, over 200 pounds, all muscle, used to seeing grizzly sights. He's shaking. He can't hardly talk. I thought he was having a heart attack. I sat him down. I was going to call an ambulance. There was no 911 then. Called an ambulance. Said, no, Ed. It's not that. I said, what's wrong? I just don't want to talk about it. He was embarrassed. Lorraine walked in. He looks at Lorraine. He said, I'll talk to Lorraine about it. But I don't want her to ever mention it again. She didn't mm -hmm. have to. I knew what he did. I went back down into the building. Everything was knocked over. He had picked up the doll. 
yet picked up that inanimate object. Its aura mingled with his aura, and something so terrible occurred to that man that he resigned from the police department three months later. But that's not the end. It's almost the end of the show. We're almost out of time. We're almost out of time. If you could quickly end that one. A group of college students came one day. One of them said this nothing but a uh, bunch of bunk. I don't believe in it. Mm -hmm. He went over to the Raggedy Ann doll, which is in a case, knocking on it. He said, uh, this doll can't do anything. I Mm -hmm. dare it right now to put slashes on me. I put him out of the building. Less than three hours later, that boy was dead. His girlfriend, who had been with him on a motorcycle, said... He was laughing about the doll, smashed into a tree, head-on, was killed instantly. His girlfriend was in a hospital for over a year. That's unbelievable. You don't challenge devils. I think we've got a picture of it. That's unbelievable. There. Yeah, I think we do. Mm-hmm.